Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today, we are excruciating the best bits from Radical Acceptance by Tara Brach, Embracing Your Life with the Heart of the Buddha. Was that intentional, excruciating? Normally, it, in most contexts of most books, you couldn't use that adjective mm. to uh, describe what we're doing, but you know, excruciating, suffering, no, know if it was finding a- the best bits after suffering is part of this book. So, yeah. I think it was a natural, unconscious bit of value we just threw in. No, I don't think excruciating can be used as a verb, but the book is radical acceptance. So, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just going to accept it and move on. Uh, this is Mate, ter- you, got, you got the ultra big IQ. Today, we're talking about SQ. It's a different territory. It's not about intelligence. It's about your spiritual quotient. My spiritual quotient is extremely low. Tara Brox is extremely high, though. She, for over 20 years, she's been working as a psychologist, but also as a Buddhist teacher. So, she's taking a lot of Buddhist principles and applying them to uh, psychology and, and well-being. And over her work with thousands of clients and students, this is some of the best stuff that she's ex- extracted, not excruciated, uh, that we can all sort of take away and apply to our own lives because we're all very similar. Absolutely. We've got the same hard wiring. And one of the most common things she comes across is that everybody has this sense of not being good enough. Like most Eastern spiritual religions, there's always a few myths and stories that represent serious noble truths. Here they've got one from ancient India. It's all about a musk deer who one fresh spring day detected a mysterious and heavily fragrance in the air. It hinted of peace, beauty, love, and it beckoned him onwards. So combined to go out and uh, chase this scent, he went all over the world searching and searching and climbing over the icy mountain peaks, through steamy jungles, endless desert sands, and wherever he went, the scent was there, faint but always undetectable. So he kept on looking. But then finally... Exhausted from the relentless search, the deer collapsed. As he fell, his horn pierced his belly and suddenly the air was filled with heavenly scent. As he lay dying, the musk deer realized that the fragrance had all been emanating from with himself all along. That's a good story. Is there, such, is there a musk deer? Is that a real animal? Or is it a, a story? Maybe there's a bit of metaphor in the word musk. Mm. It was an Elon, <laughs> Elon musk deer. Probably not. But, <laughs> but the kicker of this is we may be spending our... Lives seeking something that is actually already inside us and could be found if we were only stopped and deepen our attention to what is the present moment. But by keeping ourselves distracted all of the time, we spend our life on our way to somewhere else. I've heard this analogy a few times of people who've into meditation and spirituality. The people who reach this sense of enlightenment, in their opinion, and maybe they they may or may not have. But <laughs> anyway, they're heading in that direction. It's always this analogy like we might be sitting on this serious winning lottery ticket our whole entire lives that we're completely unaware of. And I think this is at its heart what radical acceptance is. If we can get to the point where we can accept whatever is in front of us, no matter what it is, good or bad, then we can actually access this winning lottery ticket that we're all sitting on. Yeah, that's a, the whole point is this radical acceptance and realize that like the musk deer, maybe the good smell is coming from us or maybe we are just sitting on that winnery lot- winning lottery ticket without even realizing. And what sort of stops us from realizing what we have here is we're all walking through life in a bit of a trance. We're all caught up in our own stories, our fears about how we might fail. We're living in this uh, dream-like existence where the rest of the world seems like it's just a, a backdrop and it represents the struggle for us to be a better person, to accomplish. And we pretty much just focus on ourselves as being this hero uh, and all the trials and tribulations that come with that. So, But much like a dream, 
this thing that we see as perhaps our own objective truth is not necessarily reflected in the world around us. And we're sort of putting our own thoughts and our own stories and our own uh, assessments and judgments on the world around us without taking it and accepting it as it truly is. So we're all caught up to in stories in one way or another. You've got the story of Adam Ashton, all these things, your past and all these signposts and you kind of weave them together. I've got my own story. Everyone in their own head have got their own story. But inherent in this trance and being caught up in all of our stories, in most people, there's always this feeling deep, deep down that in some way we're falling short and then we're imperfect and we're not good enough in, in one sense. And this idea of falling short and feeling unworthy, it goes hand in hand with feeling separate from others and separate from life. And that turns into a bit of a, a vicious cycle because while we feel if there's something wrong with us, if we're not worthy, if we're defective, then how can we possibly belong with other people? And then if we're not belonging with other people, we're not part of a community, we're not relating well with others, then we're then in some regards, we're falling short of something, there's some other defect. And it's just ongoing that the more defective you feel, the less you connect with others. And the less you connect with others, the more defective you feel. These feelings in this negative feedback loop of unworthiness and feelings that manifest in different forms of suffering. For some people, it's addiction, whether it be alcohol, food or drugs or a relationship. I see a lot of that where someone's completely dependent on the other person and can't just accept themselves for who they are and all their pleasure and pain is based on an external source like that. But also another big one of things, just inherent busyness. Like they, people just can't stand the thought of just being alone with their own thoughts. They always have to be doing something in every moment. You have to pull out your phone, whip up Facebook, whip up Instagram. Just because if you buy yourself with your own thoughts, generally at one stage, you're going to get back to that feeling that you're just not good enough and you need something else in your life. So we're keeping ourselves occupied this whole time and doing things and moving like that musk deer forward and forward. <laughs> but... <laughs> I don't know what a musk deer is. Uh, we'll just go with it. It's, we can have like, it's got a nice it's smell got a horn. in its belly. It's got a horn. I feel like that would be prime for predators to take them down and cut them open just to get that scent. Maybe. It's a, yeah, that's a good point. You know, some of the, the analogies in this book don't run too deep. If you, <laughs> if you take it to the it's extreme, it's all about the SQ, mate. If you pull out the IQ and just start getting too analytical on it, then it just the SQ falls apart. I think they're neg ne negatively correlated. <laughs> the two ends of the spectrum. But anyway, this musty is running around, running around like us, and uh, this feeling like we can't be by ourselves. But the irony of all this is like, where the hell are we going anyway? We're actually steamrolling through our days, driven by the feeling that we need to do more and more and more. And we're skimming over life and racing to the finish line. And the finish line is death. Mm -hmm. So if you don't realize this between now and then, it's really a waste of a whole entire life. So it's big shit. So that idea of being busy and keeping ourselves occupied so we don't have to think about our own feelings of inadequacy and imperfection is one of the strategies that we use to try to avoid those bad feelings. Another couple of strategies we might use is that we might play it safe rather than risking failure because... As Homer Simpson, the great philosopher, once said, you know, trying is the first step to failure. <laughs> so, we know, we know that if we try something, uh, it's going to expose ourselves as a, a fraud or someone who isn't per perfect or someone who doesn't know what they're doing. So, rather than taking those big risks, we play it safe and do the easy things that we know we can get right and that we know that we won't stuff up. Another thing that we might do is we might focus on other people's faults because if we can drag other people down for their imperfections, it might make us feel a little bit better. 
But of course, all of these things, you know, not taking the big risks, not trying, keeping ourselves busy, uh, focusing on other people's faults. These are strategies that we use to get over it, but they're probably not the best strategies to get over it whatsoever. The renowned 7th century master, Sen Zhang, have you heard of Sen Sung? He sounds like a real master. He sounds like a master. Imagine if we just changed our name to Sen Sun. I reckon we could go around selling quotes to people who write yeah. books like this. But he, I, don't, I don't know if you sell quotes. But I don't think this guy got paid to, for this quote. I reckon he could be getting royalties. <laughs> but what he spoke about was being without anxiety about imperfection. This means accepting our human experience and all of life as it is. So imperfection is not our personal problem. It's a natural part of existing. No matter who you are and who you put on your pedestal in your life, who your idols are, no matter what, there's going to be imperfection every step of the way for you for your whole entire life. So we need to be actually look at the imperfection straight in the eye and just accept it as part of who we are. Yeah, it's uh, quite easy to say just add, add radical acceptance to your problems and they'll all be fixed. But thankfully, uh, Tara goes a little bit deeper here uh, into some of the more specifics rather than just, you know, just radically accept it. Uh, and she tells us a story of Mohini, which was this great regal white tiger who lived uh, in the Washington National Zoo. And unfortunately, what they did to poor Mohini at the very start, when they had her in the zoo was they had her in this 12-foot cage with iron bars, a cement floor, this tiny cramped thing for a majestical beast that's meant to be running across the savannah, chasing down antelope. They had her just caged. And all Mohini could do was spend her days pacing restlessly back and forth in these cramped quarters. And it was obviously an extremely cruel thing to do. And the zookeepers realized that this is just not right whatsoever. So eventually they created this natural habitat. They built and constructed this uh, enormous jungle effectively. It was several acres, there was hills, there was trees, there was ponds, there was vegetation and they released Mohini out into this new wild that they'd created for her. But the damage was done, it was too late. All Mohini could do was just restlessly pace back and forth in this 12-foot area and in this one small section, the grass was completely bare and worn out and she wouldn't stray into the wild because basically she'd been crushed and her spirit had been destroyed by, the, by being caged. Now, the analogy here is that other people might be Mohini and for most of us listening right now, we're thinking, oh, other people, we can point around. But in reality, to some extent, you listening and everyone right now, we're putting ourselves in some kind of cage so there are a whole range of possibilities that life has to offer that we might might not be accepting right now and like Mahini we're just pacing around in this one small area of what life's experience is when in reality there's a huge range of experience that we're just leaving on the table so like Mahini we may want to love other people but are holding back to feel authentic in who you are to breathe in the beauty that's all around us or you might be at a bar and because you, like Mahini, don't think you can dance, you might just sit on your ass at the corner of the bar rather than going out there and whipping out some wild moves on the dance floor. Most of us listen to those inner voices that keep our lives small. They, we keep ourselves trapped in the cage. Even though there's this wild jungle just over the other side of the hill, where we refuse to see it. And the stories that we tell ourselves is that we probably don't deserve that, so we should stay right here in this cage instead. And what it leads to, of course, is wasting our precious lives. It's a, it's a short life. It can be a wonderful life. But by telling, these, but by telling ourselves these stories of imperfection and, and that we belong in this cage, we're really restricting ourselves. 
So the way out of the cage, this might seem simple, but it's extremely difficult. So it's a two-piece combination lock. Number one, you need to be able to see clearly. And number two, holding our experience with compassion. So seeing clearly, like the poet Rumi said, whatever you're feeling of imperfection is, what you have deep down, don't turn away and pull out your iPhone or anything like that. Keep your gaze on this bandaged place. And this is actually where the light will enter you. I don't remember Rumi saying anything specifically about iPhones, but the... The concept makes sense for sure that we need to firstly see clearly and that it's easy to pull away. It's easy to turn your gaze away from the thing that feels a little bit painful and go to something else a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more nice. But it is vitally important that we look at that, what Rumi called the bandaged place. Look at where the pain is. Don't deny it. Don't avoid it. Truly look at it and understand where this pain is coming from so that you know what you need to work on. It's probably got layers upon layers upon layers of other stuff that you've put on in in the protection but I think as you look down, you might actually notice that, hey, I actually do feel an- inadequate about this. And all you got to do is just simply acknowledge that feeling and then this is actually the way out of it. So as I said, very seemingly simple, but I think it takes a lot of guts and courage to actually look at things like that um, and move on and accept things as they are and, and all your imperfections that you have. Physical and emotional pain is really, really unpleasant, but what's unbearable is the pain of fear. And what Tara calls fear, she says that fear is the anticipation of future pain. So we haven't even experienced the pain yet, we just know that it's coming and that's when the fear kicks in. And when we're gripped by fear, it seems like nothing else exists. We become tunnel vision, we close off to the rest of the world and all we can think about is this fear and this impending future pain that's about to come and smack us up. Yeah, this fear has a function and that is just simply survival. So as we get this feeling of fear arises, there is chemistry in the body and the nervous system shifts in ways that enable several distinct responses to threatening situations. For example, you have increased blood flow to the extremities of the body, your muscles become tense and ready to fight, you might freeze and remain motionless, or if you're a cat, you might bristle and make, uh, make yourself appear a little bit larger for the dangers for predators. So every single animal, they've got different ways of dealing with it. But for humans, we'll just make ourselves feel a little bit smaller. We'll protect the places of our body that are vulnerable. We'll drop our head forward, lift the shoulders, round the back, and contract the chest. And as long as the danger exists, the one point of focus on self-preservation is maintained at all costs. So as you said, obviously fear is important. Without fear, we wouldn't be able to stay alive. We wouldn't be able to thrive. If our ancestors were fearless, we wouldn't be here today because they would have been chomped by a tiger or something. A musk deer. (laughs) They would have got trampled by that musk deer. It would have smelled good at least on the way out. Absolutely. But the, the problem is that the emotional fear, you know, in the past... Yes, we needed fear of, of the tiger in the bushes or the, the musk deer. But now with such, we're in such a safe world, there's these physical threats are really almost, almost zero. But these emotional threats, we've built up this massive fear to things that could attack us emotionally. So our mind making associations with these past experiences, we produce endless stories reminding of us all the bad things that have happened in the past. We projected forward and about all the bad things that are coming and we run it through our brains and strategies on how to avoid these bad things. And we might even tell ourselves inevitably that we're going to just ruin everything. So we might be trapped by this feeling of powerlessness and victimhood that things are always going to stuff up for us. So the solution to this fear that's building up over time and getting worse and worse with each experience out, our fear kicks up a new notch for the next time. The solution here, radical acceptance. Accept that and lean into it.
Yes, it is the moral of the story, moral of the book. If you can just accept whatever is there in front of you, your emotion, it really is the solution to everything. Tara Brock, she's a serious uh, Vipassana meditator, does uh, five-week long ones. And if you haven't heard of it, anyone listening, what you do there is you just simply sit down for 10 days and you just observe the breath. And this is exactly what radical acceptance is. And as you're just sitting there, it's complete silence. You can't look at anybody. You have these excruciating pain running up and down your body. Your brain might pull out all these different random stories that you've held on to your whole life. And this is the key insight that she's going, that she's giving to us. Hopefully now we don't have to do 30-day Vipassana mm. meditations getting the same upside. Mm. Yeah, man, I don't want to throw you under the bus too much, so we can move on if you want. But I think you did a 10-day Vipassana retreat. I did do it. Yeah. How did you find it? I lasted one day. <laughs> <laughs> Too much fear? Well, I couldn't accept it really. Yeah. The, um, okay, maybe after reading this book. The, I've actually again. got knee problems and I was in Java in Indonesia and uh, you can speak to the, the, I don't know what you call them, but the guru or whatever at half time for 30 minutes. And I was like, look, mate, and he hardly spoke English. I'm like, look, mate, um, I've actually got knee problems. I've had them my whole life. And he kind of just looked at me like, yes, <laughs> yes, son. <laughs> We've all got our problems. I'm like, no, nah, mate, I, I get this Buddhism stuff and my knees are actually, I've got a problem, it's called patellofemoral syndrome. The quadricep runs part and he was just just nodding and looking at me. Yes, just like exactly what Tara is saying now. You've got to <laughs> radically accept it. And I'm thinking, F this, right? I know on day four, all you got to do is just observe whatever pain comes up and radically accept like we're talking about now. Mm. And I thought, nah, there's no fucking way. I'm, <laughs> I'm radically accepting that. I'm gonna, I hope you radically accept my uh, exit out of this Vipassana retreat. <laughs> anyway, that's not Which in the light good. of uh, the story, but um, that's what Vipassana <laughs> is. I do recommend it for anyone. Uh, a lot of people get a lot out of it. Not for me, though. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I like it. Well, there's, a, there's a popular story that, that comes up uh, a little bit. And in fact, I heard this uh, in, the, in my very, very early days of getting pitched at those big big pitch fests and I, I bought it so it was obviously a good story but this story is uh this is a man he's uh getting chased by a tiger he leaps off a cliff in an attempt to get away and uh fortunately this tree catches him halfway down he's he's hanging onto it he's dangling by one arm and he yells out is there anyone up there is there anyone who can help me and he gets a voice come back saying this is god i can help and so he says okay well well god how can i get out of this can you help me up He's, you know, the man's looking at the tiger pacing back and forth. He's looking to the, the rocks down below him. He can't go up. He can't go down. And God just says, let go, son. Mm. And so the, man, <laughs> the bloke hanging onto the tree says, is there anyone else up there that can help? <laughs> Obviously, man, it's not, a, uh, it's not the type of advice you want. So I, I think this is very similar to your personal experience. You're the guys hanging on by the cliff. You want, it, you want one way out. You, want either the easy need way to, out. you want the easy way out. He's God and he's telling you, mate, you just got to cop it. Just yeah. let go. Just accept it. This guru, that's exactly what the guru <laughs> was telling me. Yeah. And mate, you're the, you're the guy who's looking for the, someone else to help him. But maybe, maybe he was God. He could be. <laughs> I doubt it though. Either he's God or, or Tara's God. But in either case, I think they're both spot on. In the face of fear, letting go of what seems to be our only lifeline is the last thing we want to do. I probably was attached to this random story about fear, something to do with my knee pain. And, you know, I probably was trying to avoid the tiger's mouth and the jutting rocks by uh, getting out of there at any cost. Well, we do all have these things, these, these fears, these stories that we've built up. There are, there are either, you know, tigers 
pacing back and forth waiting for us to climb up so they can chomp us or there are we all do have these rocks at the bottom of the cliff if we were to jump off and drop down there we all do have these fears and we need to find some kind of way to let go of these things and and just accept them as they are we can't change them so we need to move on yeah as long as we're alive we're going to feel fear in one way or another and if we resist it or push it aside we're going to miss a powerful opportunity for awakening so facing this fear is a lifelong training in letting go of all the things we cling to. Every time you feel this fear, just simply, again, look at it, acknowledge it and accept it being there. Don't try and take away your conscious thought away from that and pull out again, pull out your iPhone and watch The Simpsons and whatever's on TV. Just have a look at it and acknowledge it and then this is a path to radical acceptance. Mm. Especially when things seem to be falling apart for you, whether it's a you lose a job or you suffer some serious injury or you go through a relationship breakup. It seems like everything is falling apart. It seems like our lives become painfully bound by this experience. And again, it brings us back to that feeling that something is wrong with us. Something fundamentally is flawed, that we're somehow bad, we're somehow undeserving. But what the Buddha taught is that no matter how we're feeling in this moment, all of us, every single human has this Buddha nature within us and that inner nature is pure and undefiled. Every human being has this basic nature of goodness within inside them. This is fundamentally different to our Western origin stories of Adam and Eve and original sin where God just boots us out of the garden and we're trying to knock back on the door and get back into the garden. Under the story of Buddhism, we're all at the heart very, very good. And if anyone out there is a prick, might be a murderer or a CEO of a corporation that's polluting the planet, or even she says like a child molester or a no matter how much of an asshole and how much evil they've done in their lives, at the very heart, they are good people and the amount of evil they seemingly have is a measure of how ignorant they are to what the true reality is. They might be ignoring the truth that we're all connected to all life and that grasping and hatred just simply create more separation and more suffering for everybody. Yeah, in the from the Buddhist perspective, it's not that they're inherently bad, it's just that they're disconnected from this true nature. So that true nature is deep within them somewhere, they've just become very disconnected from it and they've built up all these layers of different stories and different fears over the top that's made them where they are. And not just in the goodness of others, we need to see the goodness in ourselves and forgiving ourselves, it's a process that continues through our whole entire life. So as we open with, we need to start replaying the story of what is wrong with ourselves and others and that living with a resentful, tight heart becomes our most familiar way of being. We need to slowly release that uh, out of ourselves. So the big issue that we've been talking about, that we've got all these feelings and this inner self-talk, you know, telling ourselves that we're not good enough, telling ourselves that we're flawed, experiencing this fear, this p experiencing future pain in advance. All of these things that we're doing is just our mind running wild and running out of control. So we need to, as part of our radically, radical acceptance, we need to accept uh, what's going on and we need to quieten our mind and stop it from running too wild. There's another classic Zen story from the disciple Hui Ke'e. And uh, this... We'll go with that. <laughs> okay. And the, 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 the student comes to the master and says, uh, please help me clear my mind. And the master responds by saying, well, bring me your mind and I'll quieten it for you. But the student, after a long silence, says, I, I can't find my mind. Mm. And then it's, uh, the master says with a smile, I've now quietened your mind. <laughs> That's a really good one. Yuval Noah Harar in 21 Lessons was getting at this kind of thing as well. 
when we actually stop and look within and there is actually no entity, no mind, no substance, no self, nothing to actually identify yourself with. It's all a, a bit of an illusion. If you let yourself meditate ever or if you hop in a float tank, it's actually a good exercise. Go look for who you exactly are. Go for a little hunt inside your own mind and then at some stage, you'll eventually run into the thought that there's actually nothing nothing there. Just a whole bunch of constructs and stories that we pull together. And when you go on this little hunt to find out who you are, it's a bit scary and incredibly mysterious and might you leave you a little bit dazzled. So, there's nothing there but that doesn't mean that it's empty of life but instead, we need to realize that there's emptiness and somewhat paradoxically is when we get to that understanding of emptiness, that's when we're fully present. But yeah, when you get to that awareness, you might get to the point where yourself, you go searching for yourself and there's nothing there and when you realize that and there's emptiness, that is your awareness and presence. That's basically what you said, Mm. which is... I read the words and I said it. I'm still not, I'm not totally sure of it. But one thing I am sure of is that she says, you know, our attention is always fixated on, some, on something, whether it's, you know, trying to give a flattering comment to someone or maybe making our plans for next Saturday or picturing the, the, dirty, the dirty kitchen or the messy clothes in the laundry. We're always fixated on something. And it is vitally important that we do need to, from time to time, switch that constant stream of thoughts off and start to become a little bit empty of, in a sense. Yeah, so this awareness, if you really think about it, there's only one world, the world pressing against you at this minute. There's only one minute and that's the which it, the minute in which you're alive. This minute here and now, the only way to live is by accepting each minute as an unrepeatable miracle. Yeah.